0: Joe Pfeiffer, the CEO of the Healthcare Financial Management Association. This is a well-established association based in Chicago, but they do work in Washington, D.C. The the best way to describe HFMA is that historically, this has really been like a society for CFOs, chief financial officers, primarily for health systems. HFMA has has broadly expanded its reach in thinking about the the non-hospital-centered areas of health finance and is increasingly adding other finance professionals from all walks of industry to their roles. Joe is a former CFO himself of Spectrum, which is a health system in Michigan, and an all-around thoughtful person on finance mechanisms in the industry. Joe is particularly interesting for this discussion because of the viewpoints he and his colleagues have really curated through this pandemic period. Well, Joe, thanks for hopping on for a few minutes today to uh, talk with us on the Medicaid Transformation Podcast. I hope you and uh, your loved ones are are keeping well.
1: Well, oh, thanks for asking, David, and it's, it's my pleasure to, to join you, so thank you.
0: Well, I've been thinking a lot about you, and, and the seriousness of this moment for finance professionals is definitely not lost on me, and I want to spend just a few minutes to Unpack that a little bit and, and, and different things you're thinking about or HFMA is thinking about as we look to a financial environment that's going to change uh, a lot. And, and maybe the way to start with that is going back to earlier in the year before most of us even knew how to spell COVID, you made a call to action to health systems to really start leaning heavier into digital resources as a means of efficiency improved infrastructure extension and so on and and obviously the timing for that was quite prescient two questions one why did you say that in january did you know something the rest of us didn't know and how has your point of view shifted or evolved as we've gone through this uh, really remarkable period
1: So I'll answer the second one first. I don't think it has shifted a whole lot, surprisingly, and then I'm just going to tease you with that and then I'll get back to it. The first question about, you know, why did I send it? Just for the listener's sake, it was a call to action about consumerism and digital capabilities is a central part of consumerism. It was just really quite frankly about treating our consumers like (laughs) they should be treated. I've been talking about this and making observations in the call to action article. I talked about providing out-of-pocket estimates for all scheduled services that I did when I was at Spectrum Health 10 years ago. Here we are 10 years later and that still happens in the industry, but it's not made consumer-friendly and it's not prevalent in the industry. And so it was kind of a pent-up and built-up frustration and that's why I called it a call to action. So that was why I did it. Now, why do I think I haven't shifted a whole lot in my thinking is that while there are some new things that have been exposed in this pandemic environment, and and there are probably more along the lines of uh, preparedness, in terms of the impact on the industry itself, especially in the long-term perspective, I see this as an accelerant of issues that we knew were there that just weren't moving along fast enough. So all kinds of things are happening that are friendly to consumers or make things easier for consumers, some of those using digital tools, such as a check-in or registration process that now happens with your phone and which minimizes the amount of time in a waiting room. You know, we had that capability before. Those were things that people would have um, appreciated before. But now they've been accelerated to being required a part of action. My thoughts haven't shifted all that much, but my gosh, it's been an accelerant. And I think that's a
0: key theme I want to just run with for a few minutes. And and that's that we obviously all felt this this tremendous existentiality, vulnerability, whatever you want to call it. We're starting to also see a, a slow return to quote unquote normalcy, whatever that's going to eventually mean. And I guess there's two things that I feel are going to have a really big bearing on how health systems make these ongoing decisions about different solutions for care. And and one is just the impact of COVID itself. And then two is the impact of a recession and how deep that goes. And so let's start with COVID. Um, May, you guys conducted a survey to try to better understand how COVID-19 would affect health system revenues in 2020 and about three percent of the health system leaders that responded to that said that the, the federal government's stimulus funding thus far would be sufficient but many others did not anticipate that so I guess just right from you a guy who talks to health system CFOs all day every day eight days a week what are you hearing from them how serious is this and how enduring is just the COVID dynamic
1: by itself? Well, it is. Yeah, we don't know everything. And every day seems like a little bit more of the onion uh, you know, gets peeled back. If you would have asked me this question a month ago, my answer would have been a lot different because they were, at that time, these CFOs were still scrambling to get their sea legs. They were modeling like crazy and they still are just trying to predict you know, what their bottom lines were going to look like, and it was bleak, (laughs) to say the least. Numbers were staggering, you know, hundreds of millions of dollars of loss a month, you know, for a moderate-sized health system. And so what, what we're learning now is that the recovery of those lost revenues is coming back faster than what they would have predicted a month or two ago. Now, that sounds like good news, doesn't it? But, you know, that's not the whole story. It's coming back faster, but not all the way back. In fact, we had a conference call with many of our large system CFOs and kind of the prevailing conventional wisdom was that getting, you know, 80, 90% of that that, empty beds filled or those services back to where they were is probably going to come back faster than what they thought. Perhaps an exception of the ED, which is continues to lag behind, and that's that's an interesting topic in and of itself. We could <laughs> that's another bunny hole we could go into, but in terms of generally speaking, getting 80 90 percent of those lost revenues or those, those services that, uh, that they weren't providing. And I'm going to try, I don't like to use the term elective because that's just a really misleading term to use, but there's more flexibility on times, those are coming back into that level, getting that last 10 to 20 percent is going to be a real challenge, and that's going to be the the tail that drags on for quite some time, well into 2021. And if you think about that, I don't have data on this, David, but you know, having been in this industry for more years than I care to admit to, that last 10 or 20% is in all likelihood going to be a better payer mix, better profit margin per service. Because of the services themselves. So it's going to have a pretty detrimental impact on bottom lines going well into 2021.
0: One more question on the COVID front. As, as you've talked to CFOs and they've shared things that they're doing around modeling, maybe we kind of see a light at the end of the tunnel with things like Dr. Fauci saying, hey, I'm cautiously optimistic, we'll have a vaccine by the end of the year, or early next year. So we, we kind of know there, there will be well hopefully there will be an end point at which this phenomenon ceases to be important but but there's still a lot of space between now and then oh and yeah sure okay. how are your cfo colleagues or with your own cfo hat on how do you adjust for that in modeling and way needing to try to have kind of a fully operational set of, of resources with having to also stay on war footing
1: well, that's, you know, that's the $64,000 question, right? Is, is, And if I were a CFO trying to do this modeling, I, I would say that doing a multi-year financial forecast or financial plan would be the most important thing that I would do, because that kind of gives you the direction that you need to go, the North Star, so to speak, or that beacon that you move toward. So then in this environment which, I mean, it's always hard to do forecasts, but an incredible amount of uncertainty. They're nervous. I mean, they're they're trying to figure it out. And that's why even the, the models have changed from last month to what they look like right now. I think it's important for them to not be overly conservative, but to use as much data as they can and, and try to predict it out. If you think about this, idea of, oh gosh, we're going to have things settle down in six months or so, there's still the psychology in our society they're going to need to uh, reconcile. People are afraid to go into health systems. And there's a lot of health systems that are trying to describe even in today's environment that it's safe to come in, but you don't know about the psychology in our society and what impact that will have. So trying to do models when you're trying to figure out you know, <laughs> what the psychology of the society is, it's a, it creates a very uncertain environment last thing is a vaccine, and we need billions of them, or at least in the U.S., hundreds of millions of these things. And so how do you deliver that? And, all oh, that's going to take time. So it just elongates this whole period of psychological uncertainty and, and therefore probably uh, a depressed revenue environment
0: well joe I, I do regularly call you a skeptic so, uh, so a <laughs> as <bit>.
1: you should <laughs> professional <laughs> skepticism is yeah, the exactly. term that i refer to Yep. <laughs> <laughs> well
0: i i think there's a couple really critical tenets to that that make this difficult one is just society's behavioral reaction and, and again we we kind of see examples right now at least across american society of of huge differences in adhering to something as basic as wearing a mask mm-hmm. to you know, social distancing or the lack thereof. And, mm-hmm. and so I, th- I think skepticism is, is right. And so what I hear you saying is um, that in the modeling, obviously taking a conservative approach will continue to be a modus operandi. Let, let's pivot for a minute and talk about the other financial stress point, which is obviously the the recession and the notion of a change in reimbursement that will defer to the Medicaid system uh, or create more uninsured versus the uh, more profitable commercial contracts. How serious of a reality is that right now for your CFO partners? How are they thinking about modeling in that context? How is that entering uh, into the CFO's brain?
1: Well, you could almost lock it in place because you know you can't have people year over year out of work. This concept of you know a V-shaped recovery, I think, is whatever that uh, ludic- is. <laughs> yeah, I think it, I think it's ludicrous. I think we'll see what's possible, and, and this behavior, this uptick now, makes me a little nervous about making this statement. But it's possible we could see a pretty rapid recovery, but not all the way back. It would still leave us with. An economic environment where we're operating, you know, at a significantly lesser scale than we were just in January, February. And so this thing is gonna be around for a while, the economic impact. I'm I'm gonna throw another factor on the table for you, and that is you know, the amount that we're and we went into this environment with a pretty significant deficit for this current federal fiscal year. I think if I remember right, we're looking at a you know, trillion dollar deficit there. And then you throw in all of the uh, the uh, stimulus spending that's been going on. So it's, we're going to have to reconcile with that at some point. And we're going to be looking at record deficits, record debt loads. And there's not that many levers that the federal, state, and local governments can pull to ratchet that back. So the combination of that is that there's going to be incredible pressure on healthcare spending from a health provider revenue perspective, a pretty negative shift in payer mix. We all know health systems today, every single one of them lose money on Medicaid. And I think I I think I can say that with confidence. Everyone loses money on Medicaid. And so if you have a, a, a multiple percentage point shift toward Medicaid and out of a commercial payer environment there's cynics out there saying well this cost shift doesn't really exist well that's just a bunch of bunk i can tell you it does exist and we're going to see it in spades with the shift towards medicaid so they're modeling it and that's why they're they're very nervous about the calendar year 2021 time period what i hear you saying
0: is that there's a lot of pain both from covid the uncertainty of the future of covid the recession that recovery is more gradual What level of pain does that really inflict on hospital systems that have large physical assets that have to be underwritten? And and does that start to become any catalyst to transform the way we're providing care in lower cost rates? Does that become the catalyst that that we didn't have before COVID or, or do we limp along through this period?
1: We've been talking about this unsustainable healthcare financial picture for years. And we kind of use that term without really understanding what do we mean by that? If something's unsustainable, that means there needs to be something that really shifts that, that cost curve. And we haven't seen anything that really shifts that cost curve. And so it's like that train kept barreling down the tracks coming right at us and we were kicking the can down the road. So if you accept this, this pandemic as an accelerant, it's like we knew these things were coming, but, but now it's coming much faster. And so the second thing is I would say, if we 're not going to be able to resolve this with just you know tweaking or even a radical shift in prices, the federal government's going to have to do some things to ratchet down its costs you can't get to a solution that works there just on price and so what i 'm starting to think about is, does this really push us toward Really seriously taking a look at alternative payment models and specifically sharing or taking of risk by health systems. And I think that's going to have to happen. I'm a Sutton's Law kind of a person. You know, you go where the money is. Where's the money being spent? And and I'll use the term wasted in healthcare, it's in chronic conditions. And I think this is going to point us toward we can't solve this financial dilemma that we're now in in an accelerated fashion because of the pandemic. Just by looking at price, we're going to have to look at restructuring processes and going after where the big wastefulness is. And I'm not sure if I like that term waste because I think it has a connotation, but where's the most money that could be saved while increasing care quality to consumers? And, And that's going to be with attacking chronic conditions and quite frankly, keeping people out of complications, keeping people out of the hospital. I think we're going to see an acceleration of that risk-sharing environment. So we start to align the health system and get after these chronic conditions. If we don't do that, David, we are not going to solve this just by ratcheting down on price. And if we do ratchet down on price, it's going to wreak havoc on an an industry that is 20% of our economy, and that has all kinds of implications there. So... There's a variety of directions that we could take this conversation and I'm glad we have a three hour podcast um, that we could go into this but I you know in short I think that's I think we're gonna have to get serious about taking risk and even that by itself is going to start rocking some boats and when you start rocking boats in healthcare you start messing with people's incomes and boy there's nothing more sacred than that so we got a lot of tough conversations that we're gonna have to get after in these next six 12 24 months. One of the most important
0: stage gates to those decisions in any organization, you know, goes through the chief financial officer and he or she has a strong fiduciary obligation and, and so they're, they're led by the math more than they're led by the, the importance of transformation what are the other skill sets or competencies CFOs will need to develop to be able to engage in that way? Because this is no longer just a simple uh, function of financial modeling. This is more complex. And I'm positing the thesis that most of the CFO complex in this country may not be well prepared. So first, you should just respond to that, whether you think that's an accurate statement, partially or totally inaccurate. And the second is, what are the gaps we've got to close and how are you guys thinking about helping with that at uh, HFMA?
1: First of all, I think that the good CFOs in this country get this. This is not going to be an agenda that is pursued without a close working relationship between the clinical and financial elements within an organization led by the C-suite, the the CFO and the CMO. They're going to have to be lockstep because if we're going to look to restructure how care is delivered and really focus on chronic conditions. That is not a conversation that can be led by the CFO. But the CFO has to understand it, and the good ones do. The CFOs are going to need to feel comfortable with going after that risk. There's just too many good examples of health systems that are taking risks and are making money on it. There's, there is a way to make money on taking risk, and it's through the reduction of complications. It's the reduction of chronic condition developments. It's the reduction of those chronic condition patients coming in, and if you look at the data about how many people have chronic conditions, and how many people—it's staggering how many people in this country are on medications. There's a tremendous uh, opportunity to jump into that risk space, reduce um, the complication rates, which oh by the way happens to be better for the people involved, you know, the consumer, and reduce our costs. And so the CFOs, I think, are going to have to become more comfortable with taking that risk, that personal career risk of jumping more heavily into taking risk. And there's just too many health systems that are already doing it, whether they own a health plan or they partner in a big way and share risk in a serious way that are having success, that I don't think I need to be afraid of people just accusing me and saying, oh, that's easy for you to say because you're not a CFO. There's too many good examples of it working. This project we've been working on for the last couple of years has been
0: really focused on the notion that you know, digital resources across dozens of categories can extend existing infrastructure, plug holes in non-existing infrastructures, particularly in communities that we've under-invested in. And more prominently perhaps than those two, it can serve in a capacity that can lower the burden of more physical-based costs. How do you anticipate CFOs, will they think differently about digital? Will they model it differently? Will they make different assumptions? After this period, knowing the toothpaste isn't going back in the tube, but that we still, we still have to be able to meet basic financial obligations at a time where we have access to things that are seemingly uh, very valuable. What is the shift you and your colleagues might make in that
1: context. I'll preface my answer with you know, This is not an environment for the timid. This is going to be gut-wrenchingly difficult to do because you're know, talking about a very you know, process-rich, fragmented industry that happens to be a fifth of our economy. And there's a lot of incomes riding on that up and down the whole way. And I'm not talking about just a few at the top. I'm talking about all kinds of caregiver levels. These Health systems employ thousands of people in these communities, many times the number one employer, and so this is going to be really, you know, really, really challenging. You know, look at any industry that has progressed and changed over the last 10, 20 years, and you would find, if not the sole reason, central to their reason for change or the model and how they changed is based on some kind of digital strategy. So why would healthcare be any different? (laughs) CFOs are not naive to that I think they're as always they're going to look for a return on investment and that's going to be their challenge is to look for the ROI on, on all these digital strategies but you just know darn well that digital has to be a central component to the way our industry transforms itself. It's a
0: testament to how uh, strong of an aversion our industry has to, to dealing with cheese that gets moved, and, and that implicates economic interests, I think impl- implicates power, security, you know, different, different types of sociology. And I think those things that have been a barrier uh, to us, those are artificial barriers. We've lacked for nothing in being able to do these things, we've just been unwilling
1: to do them. Think about telehealth for a second you know, that's been around for a long time. 10 years ago, and I was back right. again yeah, another Spectrum Health story. I was back at Spectrum, and we were talking about telehealth. And here we are 10 years later, and it still wasn't very predominant. Then, no, this is probably not great either. But within a matter of literally two weeks, these health systems did a complete flip of, you know, almost no telehealth to 90, 95% of their, their outpatient visits being done virtually. Well, you know, two weeks is probably not an adequate change process and we probably made some mistakes, but 10 years, isn't a very good change process either. <laughs> and you know, I used to hear from before that, you know, all oh, consumers aren't ready for this and they won't like it. Well, that's like saying that, you know, that consumers aren't, weren't ready for a smartphone. Well, of course we're ready for this. And we've shown in this pandemic that people are, right. are willing to do it. And so, yeah, we have to find a happy meeting that, that is uh, way closer than two-week transition than it is to a 10-year transition. Across the country, en masse for a sustained period,
0: we have seen a social behavioral change of how patients engage with the system, how physicians engage with the system, how administrators engage with the system. And I think you're also now going to see a set of social pressures uh, from consumers and, and docs and others that say, wait a minute, what? Why would we go back to doing things the way we did? Right. This is better.
1: I'm sure some of your listeners will probably be saying, Yeah, well, Pfeiffer, you're not thinking about this and you're not thinking about that. And, you know, we're, you know, we're heavily regulated. So a lot of this depends on CMS. And, you know, I'm not naive to all those issues. I mean, we really could talk about these things for a long time. That's why I give you credit. Having this dialogue or dialogues like this and having that regulatory, a lot of temporary things were put in place. Some of those things need to be made permanent. It's a, it's a massive wicked problem, but we don't, you know, you don't solve wicked problems without starting with the self-awareness. And I give you credit for this kind of, this line of questions and this, this, this podcast, because it furthers that, that self-awareness line of questions that I think we need to get into. The practice
0: of self-awareness is one I know you practice regularly, so it's been an insightful discussion. Joe Pfeiffer, my friend, thank you for uh, jumping on and joining, and we'll look forward to talking again
1: in a few weeks. Thank you, David. You're a good man. I enjoyed my time. Thanks, Joe.